Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Wow, well, what an incredible thing we just got to celebrate as God is just continuing to expand uh, the kingdom and continue to expand the, the work that we get to do together. I'm just so excited to be able to be here and be a part of this and, and, and in this season. I hope you sense that too and that you're excited to be a part of Frontline during this time. And uh, I'm also excited to be here today because we are in week number three of this series that we're working through at all of our Zero Collective churches as we're studying the book of Jonah. And if there's one part of the book of Jonah that everybody knows it's the part of the story where he gets swallowed by a great fish, right? I mean, even if you don't know the Bible, even if you don't really know who the prophet Jonah is, you know there's this story in the Bible about this guy who gets swallowed by a fish, and we are finally to that part of the story. Isn't that exciting today? And so uh, we're, we're gonna look today at Jonah chapter two in the passage of scripture where Jonah is swallowed and he's inside the great fish. Now, I just wanna show you really quick, this is a picture from a children's Bible of uh, this passage of scripture we're gonna be looking at today. This is, and then this one says Jonah and the whale, even though the text actually calls him a fish. Uh, but you know, my favorite part of this, this picture is how the whale is just smiling. Doesn't he look so happy? It's just so, so, he's just smiling, just like you would be if you were digesting a live human inside of you. You'd just be so happy. And then like Jonah, doesn't he just look so content? He's just at ease, you know, his hands pressed together gently. He's just praying, just hanging out, enjoying the ride and the whale. And that's all great for a children's Bible and the way that we tell this story to kids. But as David has said multiple times throughout this series, can we just act like Jonah is a real person this morning? Is that okay? Can we do that? Can we just treat Jonah as if he's a real person? The, the reality is this story, this moment that we're about to read is probably the lowest moment of Jonah's life. He's not enjoying it. He's not just kind of enjoying the ride. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know the story begins with Jonah uh, having a call on his life to go and speak to Nineveh and preach the word of God to Nineveh. And he runs the opposite direction. He hates the Ninevites. He gets on a ship going in the, the complete opposite direction. And because of that, the consequence of his sin, a huge storm blows up and Jonah is thrown overboard to his death, assumedly, to, uh, you know, to calm the storm that has happened on the ship. And now a, a fish comes along and swallows him. He's inside the belly of a fish. I mean, this is a desperate moment. This is a low moment. Th this is a moment where Jonah is reevaluating everything in his life. And, and what this story really shows us is it reminds us that God is present even in the times of our lives, in, in every storm, in every, in every circumstance, every consequence for our sin, there is this space where God is present and we have an opportunity to turn back to him and pray because that's what Jonah does. We, we remember that he gets swallowed by a fish. We forget sometimes that he prays. That's what he spends his time doing. It's not just dead time inside the fish. He's praying to God. And so we're gonna look this morning at Jonah's prayer. And so what I want you to do is, is I, wanna, I want you to join me and join Jonah in the belly of the fish. So imagine it's dark. It smells like fish guts. It smells horrible. We are in the belly of the fish this morning. And I, I dolphinately want to swim through 
this text and fish out some biblical truth to hook us into, okay, I'm done, I'm sorry, I can't. My wife was like, don't tell those fish jokes. I mean, it's just terrible when you do that. So honey, I'm sorry, uh, if that was too far, you can just let minnow and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, so this is Jonah chapter one. Uh, This is the last verse of Jonah chapter one. Depending on your translation, it might be the first verse of chapter two. It says this, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. So, So really the question that Jonah chapter two answers for us is the question, how do you pray when you're in trouble? How do you pray when life is falling apart? When you find yourself in the midst of a crisis, when you find yourself in the midst of trouble, how do you pray? And more specifically, does prayer change things in our lives or does prayer just change us? And what we're gonna see here in a moment in chapter two is the answer is, Yes, it's both. Prayer absolutely does change things in our lives, but oftentimes the way that prayer changes things is prayer first changes us. That's what we really see in this prayer as we're gonna walk through it is Jonah changes. There's this transformation that happens with Jonah, with his perspective, with his heart, with his whole being, everything changes as he prays and as he seeks God. So so we're gonna look at that here together. I wanna look specifically at a few parts of this prayer because I think it gives us a great kind of roadmap of how prayer can change us when we see God in the midst of times of trouble in our lives. So this is the very next verse, Jonah 2, verse three. Jonah is talking to God here. He's praying to God and he says, you, God, hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So the place that that Jonah starts in the midst of this prayer when he's in trouble, um, and the place that we oftentimes start when when we pray, when we're in trouble, as he starts out with, God is doing this to me. Did you catch that? He's he's angry. He's blaming God. You did this to me. Your waves and breakers swept over me. It was you who put me in this pit. It, It was you that cast me into this place. You hurled me into the depths, he says, into the very heart of the seas. What Jonah's doing here is he's looking at God and he's saying, how in the world, God, could you do this to me? He's angry, he's blaming God. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that to God? Yeah, if you have, if that's you, if you're raising your hand right now, it's, it's a very biblical thing to do. You're in good company. If you go through the Psalms, so many of the Psalms, the Psalm writer is just bringing their, their unfiltered, angry thoughts, honestly, to God. And in some cases, indicting God, like, you've done this to me. You've allowed this to happen in my life. Why would you do this, God? And what we learn from that, from this prayer, but also from so many places in Scripture, is that God is okay with that. He's okay with us bringing our frustration our anger, our unfiltered thoughts to him and into prayer and to wrestle with him in prayer over those things. See, a lot of times we, we give Jonah a hard, a hard time, right? And we say like, come on, man, like grow up a little bit, take some responsibility, stop blaming God, stop acting like that. But what I want you, what I want you to see here is Jonah is praying to God. He's bringing those things to God. It's what a lot of people do 
when they go through something really hard, when they go through some difficult time or trouble in their lives and they get angry at God, a lot of times what they do is they stop praying. They stop going to church. They stop reading the word of God. And what they do is they'll talk to other people and say, well, yeah, this is God's fault. If there is a God, I can't believe he would do this. And they complain about God, but they never take it to him and never pray to him. Jonah is taking it to God and he's praying to God with it. It's a huge difference. God's okay with that. In fact, I would say if that's where you're at today, that's a great place to start. You just bring your honest, unfiltered prayer to God. But that's where he begins. He starts out this whole prayer of God is doing this to me. He's the one at fault here. But then what we're gonna see here, if you go to verse six, you start to see this transformation happen. You start to see Jonah change as he prays. He says this, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. It, what's so incredible about this passage is, is Jonah is making this shift. You know, how do you pray when you're in trouble? He starts with God is doing this to me, but now he's moving to this place where he's saying, no, no God is actually doing this for me. This horrible thing that's happened in my life, he's recognizing that the fish that he's now inside of is the very tool that God is using to save him, to rescue him. He's, he's realizing as awful as the situation is, I disobey God, I've been thrown overboard. This fish that swallowed me is the very thing that God is using to rescue me. He, it's God is doing this for me. And really what we see in that is the, the fish is supposed to represent the miracle of grace in the story. Can, can we all agree a person being swallowed and kept alive inside of a fish is pretty much a miracle, right? I mean, that would not be a normal occurrence. The storm was normal, that happens in nature, but the fish represents the miraculous work of God that he extends to every single one of us. It's God's grace to Jonah. In the midst of this time, God provides this fish to swallow him and Jonah is starting to recognize it. He's recognizing that God's presence is drawing near to him in the form of something that he never would have asked for, but yet it is God. Pete Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which our team, uh, some of our team is reading and has read. And uh, he, he says a line that has really spoken to me in it. He says, in order to have true peace, you have to disrupt false peace. And what, what he means by that is like Jonah, I, I'll tell you just for me personally, like Jonah, oftentimes what'll happen is I will have a sense of false peace in my life that's based on putting my trust and my faith and my confidence and my identity into things that by their very nature are not secure. Like my health, uh, like my kids. As long as my health's good, as long as the six month scan is great, as long as my kids are doing good, as long as my job seems secure, as long as my finances or our finances as a family are going up and to the right, everything's good. What happens is I'm actually completely fine being with my heart being drawn farther and farther away from God. I'm not seeking him in the decisions of my life anymore. And, and I'm resting in this sense of false peace. But then what'll happen is something will happen to my health. I'll get some bad news or something will happen to one of my kids or something will happen financially and we'll take a hit. And, and then I'm angry, right? Then I'm upset and I'm angry with God. But the, the reason that is, is because I was worshiping those other things instead of God, my health, my kids, my finances, whatever it is. 
And, and, and what we're learning here in the story of Jonah is in his grace to us, what God will often do is he will come along and he will bring some, or he, let's, how about this? He will allow some hardship. He'll allow some difficulty into our lives for the purpose of stripping us away of that false peace in those things so that we can become more dependent on him, so that we can walk closer to him because what he has planned for us and what he can accomplish in our lives is so much greater and so much better and so much sweeter than what we could have accomplished if we had just continued on in that false sense of peace. Jonah begins to have this shift where he realizes this isn't just God doing this to me. It's actually God doing this for me. He's at work right now. He's he's beginning to change Jonah's heart. And the change doesn't stop there. It continues on. If you go to verse 9, toward the end of the prayer that Jonah prays, in the belly of the fish. He says, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, now I love this because there's so much joy in verse nine. Again, remember the guy is inside a fish at the lowest moment of his life, but he gets to this point in the prayer and it's with, with shouts of grateful praise, right? This is, there's so much joy in this moment. And the reason for that is because Jonah is coming to the conclusion, finally, at the end of this prayer, he, he's realizing that all the bad things that have happened in his life are part of the story that God is going to use. This is the first moment in the story of Jonah so far where Jonah finally submits to God. He finally yields himself to God. He finally lays down his, his own will, his own you know, attempts to try to make things happen in his life, and he submits to God. And he realizes what, what I've been through, what God is, what's happened in my life, God is going to use it. I will go to Nineveh. I will uh, proclaim that salvation comes from the Lord. That's what he's saying here. And so in a sense, he's, he's gone from God is doing this to me to God is doing this for me. And now in this final part of the prayer, he's saying, no, God is actually doing this with me. God's doing this with me. He's come to the greatest, and the reason he has so much joy is the same reason that we have joy when we realize the hardest things we've been through in life, the worst events that have happened in our lives. God doesn't just want to, you know, pay us back for those things or help us get out of those situations. He actually wants to transform them and use them for his purposes. Jonah's test is actually going to become his testimony. And the greater the test, the greater the testimony. The greater the hardship, the greater the redemptive power and the transforming power and the way it can be used in our lives. Oftentimes when we think about our purpose or the way God might want to use us in life, we think it's it's some skill or some talent or some you know, ability that we bring to the table. So often, it's just the most broken, horrible, awful pieces of our lives that God has somehow managed to redeem and transform. That's where his power is, and that's what he ends up using us for, for his kingdom. I want to introduce you to someone. Um, there's a family that's been attending our church for uh, basically about the last year here at Frontline. Their names are Josh and Shelley Buck. And Josh and Shelly and their family have, have been a, a part of um, Frontline for the last little bit here. And 
Josh has gone through an incredible moment of suffering, an incredible moment of pain and transformation, and God has redeemed it and used it. And now uh, Josh and Shelly have their own ministry that lots of people are part of. And I, Josh was kind enough to sit down, and we have like a five-minute video here. I'd love for you to watch as Josh was kind enough to tell us a little bit about his story because it intersects so closely with the story of Jonah. And what I think you're going to see is that God uses the worst parts of our life to redeem those things and transform and then use those things in our lives. And the reason I can say that is because I've known Josh for many, many years, even though they've just been attending Frontline for a little bit here. Josh and I uh, went to the same college uh, in Indiana. He and I, our, our families went to the same, uh, two different Wesleyan churches in the same town. We both got saved around the same time of life. And so I've watched this unfold over a period of time. I believe God's really going to speak to you. Uh, take a look at this five-minute story. vacation in Cancun. I just wanted to go for a swim. And so I just jogged down the beach and dove into a wave. Because of the way the wave crashed down, it took all of my forward momentum, turned it into downward momentum, and I head planted into the bottom. And I dove into that wave, a fully functioning 30-year-old, and they pulled me out a quadriplegic for life. I came to just floating, couldn't move my arms, and just a moment of terror and, and panic. And if it wasn't for my friend and the lifeguard on the beach, I'd be dead. The next thing I remember, I was waking up in Miami after my spinal fusion surgery. And then I came up to Mary Freebed for three months of rehab. Towards the end of my time there at Mary Freebed, I distinctly remember a conversation having with Shelly, and I said, babe, I don't know what it means to be a dad anymore. I can't pick the kids up, toss them in the air. I don't know what it means to be your husband anymore. And my identity was shattered. I had to reimagine what it was like to be me. And the first couple years were hell. in rehab still uh, they showed us this video this guy is saying if the price I had to pay to walk again was to lose all I've learned I wouldn't do it and I'm like baloney you know he's just trying to make himself feel better so I remember being at a concert at Van Andel and I was driving around the lobby uh, and people are kind of looking at me and it's almost like I could read their minds they were thinking, hmm, I wonder what that wheelchair is all about. Why are there wires under there? I just kind of looked at them and I thought, 
<laughs> I'd rather be me than you guys. And I was like, wait, I'd rather be me than you guys? Wow, God is doing something. And my priorities and my identity are kind of slowly shifting. And I started thinking, hmm, I've learned so much since the accident. If I had to give all this stuff up that I've learned, I wouldn't even do that if I could walk again. That sounds familiar. That stupid video in rehab, he was right. And now God has redeemed my identity to the extent that when I get in the wheelchair every morning, I don't look at that wheelchair like some sort of a death sentence. You know, I can look at the wheelchair and know, wow, this is what God is using to keep me the man that he wants me to be. And I can honestly say I am a better friend, a better dad, and a better husband than I was before the accident. I am so thankful that we serve a God of second chances, of redemption, who will take the ugly, the broken uh, in our lives, and he will exchange it for beauty and for more of him. It doesn't mean that things are the same as they were before, but they're good, and sometimes they're great, and we just need to wait on him. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make you good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. What Josh wanted the most initially was just to get out of the chair. What Jonah wants as he goes to God in prayer is just to get out of the fish. Maybe you're in a situation right now where all you want and the focus of all your prayers is that God would just get you out of the situation you're in, that he'd help you escape it. He'd help you just be free of it. But God wants to do something more. He has something greater planned. In fact, that's what redemption is. Redemption is always more than just escaping the situation we're in, getting out of the hard times. Redemption is always God doing something more with it. That's the way he works. We don't, when we get to heaven, we're not gonna get like reimbursed for all the bad things that happened to us. That's not what's gonna happen. What's gonna happen when we get to heaven is all the things that were the hardest parts of our lives, the most difficult trouble, all the things that we entrusted into his hand and that he redeemed, those are gonna be the things that we actually are the most joyful about, that we're gonna be praising God for the most. I think about my friend, Josh, you know, all of us who know Jesus and who have trusted our lives, we're gonna see Jesus someday in heaven and we're gonna walk forward and we're gonna bow down and we're gonna worship him face to face. But think about, I mean, my, for my friend Josh, when he sees Jesus and that moment comes, he's gonna stand up. And for the first time in years, he's gonna walk 
he's going to bow down on his own knees and he's going to worship Jesus. And in that moment, Josh will have a greater joy that I will never be able to fully comprehend. Do you see it? Because the greater the trouble, the greater the joy on the other side, the greater the test, the greater the testimony. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's capable of when we put it in his hands. God has way more planned for your pain and your suffering than just helping you escape from it and get out of trouble. He wants to use it. He wants to redeem it and transform it and use it for his glory. But in order to experience that, there's no shortcut. You have to do exactly what Jonah does in verse nine, what we just read a moment ago. You have to come to this place where you yield to him, where you submit yourself to him, where you stop fighting, where you stop trying to circumvent the process and you just lay it at his feet and you say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna humbly just trust you and obey. All of us have to come to that point. And when we do that, that's when he can begin his transformative work. There's something even so much greater than just this Jonah chapter two. I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out to you. It says right there at the very beginning of chapter two, Jonah was in the fish how many days, how many nights? Remember? He's in the fish for three days and three nights. When you fast forward uh, into the gospels, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to some of the religious leaders of the time and they're questioning Jesus and they're asking him, they're saying, will you show us a miracle? Will you prove yourself? Give us some kind of a sign that you are who you said you are. And what, what Jesus says, he, he loves the book of Jonah and he points back and he says, the only sign you're gonna get is the sign of Jonah. That just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and then was given a second chance and risen out of that, Jesus says, I'm gonna be in the ground three days and three nights and then I'm gonna rise to eternal life. And what he's saying in that moment, he's saying, look, the story of Jonah is a redemption story, but it's a redemption story that points to the ultimate redemption story. The story of Jonah, yes, it's, it's an incredible redemption story, but it's only incredible. And the only reason it's in the Bible is because it points to the ultimate redemption story of every single one of us. That when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, he has the power to redeem the worst stuff in our lives. And it's the stuff we're gonna be praising him for the most in all of eternity. The problem is, to be very honest with you, there's been lots of times in my life where I don't want a redemption story. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're more like kind of at the beginning part of the prayer where you're still angry. You're still upset about the situation you're in. I've been there. There are times where I didn't want a great redemption story. What I was praying for was a great revenge story. I was like, God, just help me get revenge on this person. Help me get them back. But if God had actually answered that prayer, I would have missed out on the redemption that came through the healing and the forgiveness that's happened in my life. There were, there were times where I didn't want a redemption story. I wanted a restart story. There were, there were seasons when I was leading this church where I remember things got so difficult at a couple different points where I remember praying and saying, God, will you just call me somewhere else? Just get me across the country with my family to where I can just start over again, where nobody knows who I am, nobody knows anything about the past and I can just begin again. But if God had answered that prayer for a restart, I would never have gotten to experience the things like what we just experienced here this morning. I'd never get to be a part of this and what he's doing right now. I'm telling you, the greatest lesson that, I, that any of us can learn, the, the greatest lesson that God wants to show us through our pain and our suffering is that Jesus, when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, Jesus doesn't just provide a way out of trouble. Jesus is the way through 
all trouble forever. That's who he is. And so as we turn this toward ourselves this morning, the question I'd love to ask is, or the, the statement I'd love to make is, don't try to circumvent or fast track God's process for bringing redemption out of your story. Like Josh said a moment ago in that video, you have to wait. There's no shortcuts. But oftentimes what we do is we try to circumvent. We try, we just, God, just get me out of the situation. We try to escape it. We try to numb out from it. We, we try any and every way we can to circumvent or fast track it so we don't have to live through it. You may be on day one in the belly of the fish. You may have a little ways to go. Don't stop. Put your life in his hands. Put, put your situations in his hands. He alone has the power to redeem all of our brokenness and use it for his glory. He's not just doing this to you. He's doing it for you. And eventually, if you allow him, he will do it with you. He'll do it with your life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just worship you this morning for the simple fact that you are a redeemer. Uh, far more than just reimbursing us or paying us back for difficult things that have happened in our lives, far more than just a way to help us escape or get out of trouble. You are the way through. You, you are the one who can redeem everything in our lives and use it for your power and your glory. So this morning, God, we're saying to you, no matter where we are, at what point we are, we are in that prayer, whether we're angry, whether we're uh, <laughs> bitter, whether we're starting to realize that you're at work, but we don't know where the story's going, we don't know how you're gonna possibly redeem our brokenness, we, we turn ourselves to you this morning. You're our only hope, Jesus. You're our only safe refuge. You're the only place we can go. And we know that when we put our lives in your hands, Jesus, you are able to accomplish more and greater things through our lives than we can ever do on our own power. So that's what we're asking you to do. Have your way. Have your way in this, God. That's what we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.